He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole Podcast. Taylor Williams here, host. We actually have the whole crew today, everyone. We got Colby Powell, Sam Humphreys, and the Hall of Famer Jim Woodward all joining us. We're recapping all kinds of crazy stuff that happened this last week, and we had the FedEx Cup playoffs. We had a playoff in the playoffs, guys, so that was very interesting. We had the Cam Smith penalty. We're going to break down the top 70 in the, in the FedEx Cup standings along with some other things that were going on in the world of golf. But Colby... It seems like the word that was going around this last couple weeks is that, or over this last week, was that there was a new addition to the Powell family. Could you tell us about that, please? Yes, there was. We, uh, my sister was uh, past her due date a little bit, went in on Wednesday for her doctor's appointment, uh, and things took a while. It was a little stressful for quite a while, but yeah, we uh, we have a new member to the family. My wife and I have a little niece now, uh, as my sister and her husband welcomed their first child. To the world, little baby girl, just about four months behind our baby girl. They, uh, for those who don't know us personally, they live close with us here in Oklahoma City. We're a pretty tight knit family, so very cool to have the the cousins, both girls, close in age. And uh, mom and baby got to go home yesterday, and both are doing well. So, uh, yeah, great news. Baby's popping out left and right for the Powell family, left and right. They may actually be competing in the U.S. Women's Am here in a couple of years. We'll talk more about that later on the show. But first off, guys, let's go ahead and talk about our man, Will Zalatoris. He's able to pull it out against Seb Straka in the playoff. Took him three holes. Had a very eventful third playoff hole. Zalatoris actually won with a bogey. Actually, both of them hit in the water, at least had to take penalty shots. So we'll go ahead and start off with you, Sam. What, what did you see yesterday and what you were phrasing as a pillow fight of a playoff? <laughs> I did tweet that it was a pillow fight at times off the tee. Now, they did make some clutch plus, and that's the main story of this playoff uh, and of the St. Jude, uh, FedEx St. Jude Classic, was that T-Dub, Will Zalatoris did it with his putting. His putting saved him. I mean, how many fairways did he hit uh, in the final round? Like five fairways, T-Dub? It didn't seem like he had his best stuff. He definitely didn't. Um, and he really opened the door for Sepp Straka. Unfortunately, Sepp Straka essentially hits it in the water on the last two playoff holes. I know that he ended up taking the drop uh, on 18 in the second playoff hole. So, I mean, P-Dub, it was one of those situations where it seemed like no one really wanted to win the golf tournament, and then Will Zalatoris won the pillow fight by default, kind of. Well, it was so interesting, right, because Zalatoris makes a, a great up and down on the 72nd hole to f- essentially force a playoff. Didn't really know that at the time. Actually may have had a chance to win or maybe even lose by one because Straka had a putt on 18 to win as well. Then they both uh, par that the uh, the first playoff hole. And then the second playoff hole, Zalatoris hits it right into the trees, has to punch out. Very, very similar where Cam Smith was last year. And then Straka actually has a shot from the hazard, but besides to take a drop, well, they both decided to just get up and down from that position, which was extremely clutch. And then it seemed like it went from clutch to a super anti-clutch because Zalatoris puts it in the hazard line. You have to think that Straka should just go 30 feet left of that flag to try to just make a par because you got to think that that's going to win. I mean, obviously, you couldn't see exactly where the ball was, but still, Woody, what were your thoughts when, when Straka hit his shot in the water after Zalatoris had already put it in the hazard? He dabbed your spot on. I mean... Even though they didn't see the ball go into the hazard, for him to assume that he was going to have an easy chip shot from there, boy, I think that was a big bad call right there. Just between you and me, I, I would have, I would have definitely hit to the center of the green and taken my chances making a three and see if that won. But you know, I wasn't there. I mean, I get it under the heat of battle. You know how it goes, guys. I mean, he's he's doing what he thinks he has to do. The best thing he can do is make a two. He shot at it. Well, guess what? He lose. He he definitely did lose. Well, I mean, it was. It's just interesting because we we were talking about this yesterday on the radio show, and 
like obviously Rory wasn't there, Scheffler wasn't there, Spieth wasn't there on the weekend. But still, I thought it ended up being a very interesting tournament just from all the storylines that were going on. And I know that me and me and Sam in particular yesterday on the radio show did not think Seb Straka had any shot to win this tournament. On, in all honesty, him and J.J. Spawn, I thought were going to switch roles. J.J. Spawn shoots, what, 78 or something like that yesterday. So, Colby, what did you see from Seb Straka that may have been a little different than what me and Sam were seeing uh, going into the event that led him into the playoff? Because neither one of us saw this coming. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody saw this coming. He was coming in on a run of like six straight missed cuts. I think he's just had a terrible summer uh, ever since he won earlier in the year. But, you know, I mean, these guys on this tour, they can just, they can find it. And he found it. And I really thought that he was going to win that playoff. Whenever Will Zalatoris had his problems on that third hole, even on the second playoff hole, I thought Sepp Straka was very smart to just take his relief, not try to get crazy from the bank. There were a lot of player caddy conversations in that playoff, and I thought part of the fascinating storyline was Will Valatoris is week one with a new caddy. Week one, playoff event. He has to hoist the trophy, and they're having to decide, do we punch out? Do we try to play the hero shot? Very next hole, they're looking at this lie. They're trying to figure it all out. I'm like, Will Valatoris shoots one over 71 on Thursday, all right? He had three balls plugged in the bunker in four holes. He shoots 71. He plays the next three days at 16 under, and then him and a brand-new caddy go into a playoff, and, you know, you win it with a bogey, you win it with a bogey. I mean, it was a nice up and down from the drop zone. Uh, three great putts at the end for Zalatoris. He even said uh, after he made the putt on the 72nd hole, he, he yelled to Steph Curry, what are they going to say now? So uh, I, I think it was pretty special for Zalatoris and his new caddy to get it done in their first week, and that had to just, I mean, really solidify the trust knowing that they made the right decisions in that playoff. Boy, it is come, becoming a common trend, isn't it, boys? We see Scotty Scheffler leave his longtime caddy. All of a sudden, he gets a caddy, and he becomes number one player in the world. Now, Zalatoris really just six rounds now in with a new caddy, and all of a sudden, he gets his first win. But along those same lines as Zalatoris, I want to ask you, Sam, because you're kind of our putter aficionado here. So, look, looking at Zalatoris... I'm <laughs> well, well, you might be able to relate to the analytics here. It was the point I'm trying to make. So, Zalatoris, Sam, putting from four to eight feet, he's 187th on tour. Putting from inside 10 feet, he's 177th. From 10 to 15 feet, he's 171st. But then you drop down from 15 to 20 feet, he's 38th. And from greater than 25 feet, he's 37th. So, he is basically 140 spots a better putter. Uh, comparatively on tour when he's outside of that range. So as someone, as you've you've mentioned numerous times on the show, struggles with short putts, just truly what is the phenomenon behind that? Because to be 140 spots higher when you're 15 feet away from the hole compared to five feet from the hole is absolutely crazy to me. It doesn't look pretty, though, T-Dub, but he's really solid inside three feet. I don't think he's missed a putt inside three feet all year, if I'm not mistaken. You're right, yes. Um, In 622 attempts, he has made every single um, three-footer that he's had. But from four feet, he is 173rd, and from five feet, he's 169th. So if he gets within, essentially, the gimme range, he's awesome. But anything outside of that, outside the comfort zone, tends to be a little bit uh, strugglish. Right, and but yesterday, uh, I, I mean, it was like a different person, T-Dub, and he's done a lot of work with Josh Gregory on this, and I think that he has done the right drills, and not technical drills, T-Dub. I'm talking about drills to put yourself under pressure to where I'm not leaving this putting green until I make all of these in a row, or I have to put myself in a pressure situation more often because you have to somehow uh, – semi-recreate it because you can't recreate those feelings you have in your hands. And that's what it is, T-Dub, is he has different feelings in his hands uh, over a four to seven footer than he does over a 20 to 30 footer, T-Dub. And I think that he's done a lot of great work. I I loved his speed yesterday. He didn't, uh, when he did have the lag cuts, he didn't leave himself any testers like we saw Seth Strzok and knock it by eight feet. He made it uh, coming back in the first playoff hole. But uh, T-Dub, what I saw was just a solid stroke. And, and take me, I'll take you guys back to the U.S. Open and the PGA. He had seven-foot putt, uh, seven putt on the second playoff hole, the PGA left to righter. He missed it, right? And, and then uh, on, at the U.S. Open, he had the 10-foot left to righter, very famous putt uh, to tie Matthew Fitzpatrick. He missed it. He had essentially the same putt. Uh, to force the playoff, and, and he made it yesterday, and then he makes the one 
um, you know, when he needed it uh, on the second and third playoff hole. And so, T-Dub, what I'm saying is whatever Will Zalatoris is doing is working, T-Dub. Um, it, it was just very fortunate that those putts mattered because I felt like Seth Straka, there's no chance in hell that you can take a chance on hitting it left in that hazard on the se- on the second playoff hole the third time he played 18. I mean, you have to just hit an iron out to the right. Now, he ended up making par. Both of them did somehow. Um, but once he, once Will is in jail on the second playoff hole, you can't put yourself in jail too. And then he ends up doing it on the Island Green 11th hole, which was the third playoff hole. I couldn't believe it. My mind was blown. Just even blow it into the back bunker. Take a chance on making your par. But you can't just take yourself out of the golf tournament like that. I think you're spot on there, Sam. And Woody, just kind of along those same lines, you know, Sam brought up the, the putt that, that Zalatoris missed at the USO and barely just squirted by the hole. But a lot of people don't remember, he had a very clutch up and down at, at the PJ Championship on the 72nd hole to be able to force that playoff with Justin Thomas. But it's a weird phenomenon because it seems like he had been performing well in the clutch, at least with the putter, what he seemed like he'd been struggling. But yet he wasn't able to get it done until yesterday. So kind of just talk to us about the importance of being able to kind of perform in the clutch while it not being successful, but yet still trusting the process that you're doing the right things. Good point there. I, I, I think that's what it comes down to. Sam hit the nail on the head. He's doing some kind of drills, whatever they are working on, that gets him under pressure situations. And I don't think he overreacts. When he, there for a while, when he first started, I think he let the uh, media and all the other people around kind of mess his mind up too because everybody was saying, boy, you're just a crummy putter. You just can't putt. You hear that enough, and then you start believing it. Well, that's the worst thing you can be. Is If the golfer himself keeps his confidence, keeps trusting what he's doing, at some point, we knew this kid. He kept knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. It's just kind of sad that it happened right after he gets a new caddy because that other guy had been through so much with him, and then all of a sudden, boom. And those caddy player relationships. I think, guys, one of the things you're seeing in that, I want to touch on that just briefly. I think these caddies are becoming too important to these players. And the reason why I say that is then when times go a little bit south and they can't go one way or they can't do it this way or something's going wrong, they're going to fire them. And so the caddy is kind of where he becomes his best buddy and like brothers. The more chances they have of being fired, they, they don't, they don't have the ability to separate the two, if you guys can understand what I'm saying. So after a while, these caddy player relationships are doomed to fail because they become too close. I hate to say that, but I truly believe that. Woody, Woody, I have a question for you because obviously we saw Will Zalatoris in the crack in between uh, the water and and the green on on the third playoff hole on 11 on the island green. If I was his caddy, I was going to push him in the water if he tried to hit that ball. I mean, it, it, I didn't understand. Maybe it's because he wasn't his caddy. He just wanted to go through the process. But why was that such a long decision? I mean, it was obvious to me. Just go back to the drop zone. He's already hit it in the back bunker and hit the bunker shot. While Will Zalatoris was trying to make that decision, it was clear to me to just go back to the drop zone. Why was it such a long decision? I think you were right on that, too. Sam, because it was his first week with this young man, and he doesn't want to – the one thing that caddy can't do in that situation is get emotional and overreact. He's going to let that player go through all those types of scenarios. I I couldn't agree with you more. When I saw that lie, I thought, what are they thinking? There's nowhere that ball could have gone. If he tried to hit it, you know where that ball's going to go. It's going straight backwards into the water or double hitting it. Exactly. I mean, that's a, any moron can see that. Well, any golfer, especially a guy that plays as much golf as he has, right? So at that point, I'm sure that caddy is saying to himself, come on, man, don't be this stupid. Don't be this stupid. I truly believe if Will would have tried to hit that, he would have stopped him and pulled the bag away and said, no, 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 let's rethink this. And he'd have walked him through calmly. And and got him to that position, but the one I don't know. He gave him the wedge. He gave him. He was. He had the wedge out right behind the ball. Uh, yeah, I still don't think he'd have let him do it. 
I, I just don't think either <laughs> let him do it. I think they would have had a pretty good little discussion on it and might have even had a fight. But and let me tell you something. If if Will would have gone ahead and pulled the wedge, then topped it, and had gone back in the water, <laughs> he probably would have fired that caddy too. And that's wrong. <laughs> that is wrong because I know in every way, shape, and form that was not the shot to hit. But luckily, you know what? The calmer heads went through it, and they took a lot longer than I would have. You're right, Sam. It was a stupid even to have the conversation, but good for both of them. They had it. They were able to pull it off, and I hate to tell his former caddy, but that was not good for him, uh, for this young man to win with this guy right off the bat because he hadn't been able to win with his old caddy. And they said, well, we might we might join up again. Yeah, well, Joe Biden might get his memory again. I don't think it's going to happen, boys. I just <laughs> don't think it's going to happen. Well, and, and to me, guys, what was the craziest about that, about that third playoff hole is that they're not hitting five and six irons. There's a 151-yard hole. And Zalatoris had gained over two shots on, on the field approach this week. The second next was me and Colby's one-and-done pick, Joaquin Neiman, at 1.5. So he's gaining more than half a stroke approach per round. Over every single person hits one of the worst uh, wedge iron shots. He's probably about a nine ironish. It's one of the worst shots I'd seen from a guy in the leader. But then Straka hit even a worse shot. But uh, something we hadn't talked about yet, guys, was the up and down that Zalatoris had once he put it into the drop zone to be able to hit it. Because you look at where he's lined up, right? I mean, that flag is fairly tucked over to the right. I mean, even on a 90-yard shot, that's a tough pin to aim at. And he ended up, what, six or seven feet left of the hole. So, I mean, I, I just want to give him credit there. Because everyone's talking about the putt that he made and, and, obviously, the shot that took place before that. But that little 92-yard wedge shot took some uh, took some kahunas to be able to pull that off. But I guarantee you guys, what, what Zalatoris needed more than anything was a groove at brush. Because he put it in the bunker um, in regulation, put it in the pine straw, in the playoff, put it on the rock. I mean, if you don't need a groove at brush to get out of that stuff, I don't know what would do it. Use our promo code 73rd hold that's 73RDHOLE for 10% off at groovetbrush.com. It's the best club cleaner in the game. Put water in the brush. It's got magnets with no wires. So definitely check that out at groovetbrush.com. So, guys, one other storyline I want to get to on this tournament was yesterday on the radio show, me and me and Sam both prognosticated that it was going to be a Cam Smith, Will Zalatoris fight down the stretch. Well, uh, PJ Tour decided to give uh, Cam Smith a two-shot penalty um, for something that had happened 14 holes earlier on Saturday on the fourth hole. So, Colby, just kind of dive us into you know, what was leading up to, or I guess what initially happened after for the rule to uh, to take place and kind of the reaction around uh, around everyone because it kind of just came out of nowhere. Yeah, it kind of seemed like somebody overnight on the rules committee is what Gary Young was saying whenever he got on the broadcast, kind of saw it and thought, man, I think that that ball's on the line, but then they wanted to look at it the next morning. So they looked at it the next morning and called Cam in, and Cam's like, oh, yeah, it was on the line. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to give you a couple shots. And Cam was like, yeah, all right, I get it. See y'all later. And um, look, I think that if Cam was not already a sure thing, to go to live. I think that this is probably a much smaller story than it was, but that elevates the drama, right? So that put him four shots back instead of two shots back, and they didn't play a very good round. I, I don't know if that had anything to do with uh, with the penalty before, you know, getting in his head and making him, you know, um, upset, frustrated, whatever, and then he wasn't able to go out and go low. But it, it was certainly weird, um, but it was the right rule. They just they should have caught it much earlier. You are right. That, that 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 is the rule. It's just I have such a rough time with these. Oh, let's give someone a penalty twenty twenty hours after the penalty happened. Right? It's like it's like if you go into a football game and you give someone a holding penalty for something that happened in the first quarter of a Sunday afternoon game, and it's Monday morning. You know, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, Sam, it's just the timing of the penalty, and like what Colby said with with Cam going to live makes it a storyline. But for me, it's just the timing of it. it just seems so so weird and really just unnecessary. Yeah, to me, I mean, guys. I hate this rule in golf where you can go back later on and, and change a ruling. And, yes, Cam Smith said himself that the ball was definitely touching the line. However, Brentley Romine reports that Gary Young called it unfortunate uh, for Cam Smith. He said, initially, officials felt comfortable with the drop and that it was close but not on the penalty line. And to me, in the moment, if the officials are comfortable with the drop, then just go on with it. I mean, isn't it the officials 
fault for this all happening. The official is the person that should go over there and step in. And, and you don't just sleep on it overnight. And the fact that Cam Smith is going to live and he's watching the telecast and he's like, oh, that's a wrong drop. Let's go ahead and penalize him later on. That doesn't happen in any other sport. It's ridiculous. Uh, it happens in basketball, just for the record. In, in basketball, it doesn't happen. You don't sleep on it overnight in basketball. Okay, so you don't watch the replay. The officials don't go home and be like, oh, I messed up that call. Kobe, any more thoughts on that? So, in the, in the third quarter of a basketball game, a guy shoots a three with, at the six-minute mark of the third quarter. At the end of the third quarter, in between quarters, they go review it. They realize that his foot was on the line. They change it to a two. I mean, yes, time lapses in a golf tournament, but, I mean, we're essentially between the third and fourth quarter here, so it's weird because of the time lapse. But, yes, I mean, it's not an exact apple to apples, but also I don't think it's crazy. This isn't the first time that this has happened. This won't be the last time that it's happened. I think it's just a bigger storyline because of the living. No, I, I totally disagree with that. I think it would be a much bigger storyline because Cam Smith would have been a whole lot more pissed off about it if he wasn't going to live. He knows he's going to live, so he's just like, okay, whatever. You guys are ridiculous, and so he didn't make a big deal about it. What do you probably – Hey, go ahead. One what thing, remember something. The, the one good thing for Cam was, is back in the days, guys, he would have been disqualified because he was signed to be with right. the school card. So, right. I mean, it could have been even worse for Cam Smith. And I'm going to be a little bit uh, a little bit hard on the golfers. Guys, you got to know the rules good enough. If Cam Smith dropped that ball and he was touching that line, he has to know the rules good enough to know, hey, guys, I need to redrop this and then I got to place it because my ball's still not out of the hazard. So, whereas I don't like how it all went down, and you guys are probably right, I don't think, I really don't want to believe the PGA Tour got together and said, let's ding this guy because he's going to live anyway. I really don't want to believe that. But I, I wasn't in the room. Who knows what was said? But I still go back to the bottom line. That was on Cam. Cam should have known the rules well enough to know if that ball's touching that line, you don't hit it. You've got to redrop it. Woody, I agree with that. I, I really do. And it is on Cam Smith. It just rubs me the wrong way that in the moment, it's the official's job to tell him that, right? Right. And, and the problem was, Sam, is he didn't call an official down there. He took the drop himself. The official was in 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 right there he was up the fairway sitting in his cart but cam never made the motion to get him down there okay but what does it mean when brentley romine reports they said initially officials felt comfortable that the drop was close but not on the penalty line well that's what i kind of call bullshit on this deal because that official was way too far away to see what that ball really looked like he assumed cam smith knew the rule and so he didn't drive down there to really check. He thought, well, he dropped it. He's he done the right thing. I'm not going to worry about it. For him to go back later and look at it, that's when it gets kind of dicey with me. That's when you kind of got to go, are they after him? Are they really Are they really not doing the right thing there? Because let's say if that was Scotty Scheffler, I'm not sure the officials would have gone and looked at it or Rory McIlroy or somebody else. I think that's when you start to get in where it might be a little bit of tit for tat. You shouldn't be going to live, and we're going to get you for it. I, I do believe there was a little bit of that. I, I guess I'm just too old and, and, and not cynical enough to believe that they really are that vindictive. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I've been wrong so many times in my life. That's okay. I don't care. But I hope that wasn't what was going on. Just like when Scheffler walked in front of Cam Smith, I I don't believe that was anything about you son of a buck. You're going to, you know, he wasn't cut. Yeah, me either. I, I right. think that was just, he was pissed off and walked in front of him. Now, yeah, I love did, y'all see, did y'all see they made a joke about that the next day, Scheffler? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hated that. And Colby, you know, I'm the biggest, you know, live supporter there is, but that was not a live deal. Are you kidding me? He, he was probably upset about the whole wasn't paying yeah. attention. Liv gave, I mean, Liv, uh, Cam gave him a funny look, and it, it was a non-story. People made too big of a deal about that. Yeah, Scotty, was, he was upset because he was playing bad golf. Also, people immediately got on Twitter and said that Scotty Scheffler walked through Cam's line. Okay, he didn't walk through Cam's line. He walked in between Cam and Cam's coin. 
So he walked through right. Sam's read, but he didn't actually walk through his line. Uh, and the next day, they tried to recreate it with Cam walking through Scotty's line, and Scotty was going to shoot a look at him, but Scotty couldn't <laughs> stop. But Scotty couldn't stop laughing, so they didn't actually <laughs> pull it off. So no, I don't think that Cam Smith and Scotty oh. were mad at each other. No, a hundred percent. And I mean, by the way, it is kind of a, a bush league move, right? I mean, if you're mad about your hole and you're so you know self consumed that you walk through someone's read, which is bad etiquette. You know, but but you know, Cam didn't take it to heart, and it wasn't about live. It, it, that's it's just crazy that people thought that. Yeah, I I don't know about you guys, but generally the rule of thumb on a situation like that is you you walk around the player unless they're like backed up to a body of water or a bunker, right? Because then you can't go around them. So then it's somewhat understandable if you do it. I just I thought what was so weird about it was that you can kind of tell from the video that Scheffler, you know, when he's only about ten or fifteen feet away from Cam, you can kind of see that he kind of re-diverts his direction, right, to kind of go in front of him. That's what seemed so weird to me. But I completely agree with you guys. They they were just laughing it off. uh, especially the next day, it seemed like they were just joking all day. So I think there's a lot, a lot of hysteria made about how the tour players are going against the live guys. I don't think that's necessarily as much of a case. Hey, as- hey, I do have one one thing on the Cam Smith that I want to ask Colby. So Colby, I, you did bring up the third quarter in a basketball game. To me, each round is its own entity, and I thought we had gotten rid of you know people calling in. But now we have officials going home and watching the telecast and being like, I screwed up. Do you like that? I mean, is that good for golf? Um, I mean, honestly, no, I, I don't love it that the officials can go back and look at it later. I, I think it should be handled same day. Now, uh, just, just so there's no confusion with the listeners, there still are no call-ins, but the, the people on the actual rules committee can go back and look at the telecast, right? That's what happened yesterday. Someone on the rules committee went back and looked at the telecast and saw that there was an issue. So, uh, I mean, no, I, I don't love that they can do that the next day. I, I do think that, you know, golf is a, a little weird when compared to other sports because in golf, it's like we talk about it with 54-hole leads. I mean, a guy has a one-shot lead through 54 holes, and we're like, oh, that guy should just cakewalk his way to the trophy. You know, it's, you've only played 75% of the event you know in other sports they play four quarters they play three quarters we don't just assume the team that's ahead by a field goal at the end of the third quarter is guaranteed to win so i I don't know it's it's weird with golf through 54 holes i I think that um I, i think that way too much is made of what happens early in golf tournaments because it is a a four day long just drain i mean it's you're not sitting there for three hours you're sitting there for five or six hours four days in a row and then you've got 20 hours to react to everything you just saw. Uh, it, there's just so much conversation about what happens in golf before that final round is played. And, and it's, it's kind of weird and unique in that way uh, because, I mean, is there another sport in America that is, you know, the same tournament, the same scorekeeping last four days? It would be wild for any other sport to do that. And and, yeah, and I'll, I'll just one really? second, one second, Sam. I just the point I want to make to against Colby, and I'll, I'll lead into you with this, Sam. I feel like the difference is is that in an NBA game or an NFL game. Every single play and every single snap is televised. So you can go back and you can see every single moment. But in a PGA Tour event, not every single player's shot is on camera. So it's a little bit selective depending on where the camera crew is at that time if you're even able to review a shot or not, Sam. That's a good point. That's, yeah, a, good point. that's a good point. And my other point was going to be just, just kind of finish it off is that when you penalize a guy the next day, it changes the whole preparation of what he was planning on doing the next day. I mean, two shots in this golf tournament, what, moved him down, you know, 15 places in the golf tournament? To me, I think that, you know, you have to do it that day because letting a guy sleep on it and say he has a leader, he's two shots back, now he's four shots back, right? It, it changes the whole game plan of the whole day, and then it kind of shakes you, and you never really see a person play good after that. We've seen it happen with Lexi Thompson, Cam Smith, you know, Justin Johnson. We've seen it happen many, many times. Yeah, I, I will say I, uh, I do think that they got it right, but I agree with you. I don't think that it was handled well. And, Taylor, you made a great point about not every shot being televised, and that is a problem whenever you can go back and we can look at Cam Smith, and we can see what Cam Smith did on the fourth hole on Saturday. Well, can we see Sepp Straka? Can we see all these other guys, exactly what they did on the fourth hole and every drop that they took all week? Uh, so, no, that was, a, that was a great point, Taylor. Maybe uh, maybe video review should, um, 
should go away unless it's caught right then. I, I don't know exactly what the solution is. And you it, know where they do video every shot he does? Augusta National. Yeah, in the lift. Oh, and lip. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Well, I think with all the defectors that we saw complain about the rules officials, that lip may just stay away from that because uh, they don't want to be thrown in that same category. And along these same lines, Colby kind of mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, early what happens early around in golf and things like that. I want to get to the top 70 that, that end up making into the FedEx Cup and the guys that were out. So there were four players who were able to move into the top 70 who weren't, and there were four that moved out. So Lucas Glover finished tied third. Yesterday, he was able to move up from actually 121st to 34th. Adam Scott moved up from 77th to 45th. Andrew Putnam moved up to 47th. And Wyndham Clark made it right on the number. Actually struggled really mightily yesterday on the back nine, but was able to have a clutch up and down on, on 18 to get it done. Anabon Lahiri finished, uh, moved from 63rd to 71st. John Hunt moved out as well, along with Brendan Todd and Lanto Griffin. Woody, yesterday we were talking on the radio show about how we, we think there's a lot of emphasis put on these FedEx playoffs. For example, Zalatoris had not won a tour event all year and uh, is now currently number one. I understand he's had a lot of good finishes in majors. But now that we're this first playoff event, has your opinion changed at all? Are you still on the side of that maybe these, uh, these last couple events have a little bit too much weight to them? Well, I still think they have too much weight to them, but it's good television. Uh, you know, Zalatoris won $2.8 million yesterday. Uh, that's that's still a little short of a live victory, but that's a big that's a big check. It's it's bigger than the normal check. Let's just say that, and it moved him into a really good driver's seat to win this whole thing. And that that's why I say I don't know. I just I still think there's way too much. I think a guy can come way too far back and win the FedEx Cup, and I just don't like it. I I I don't know. I don't know what the solution is there. Uh, They'll come up with something, I'm sure. They're, they, they're always tweaking that deal. They tweak it, seems like, every year. So I don't think there's a perfect scenario is what I've got to tell you guys. But um, they want drama, and that gives them drama. That that means a guy that's 70th now and, and going to the next one could still possibly, if he goes back-to-back wins, he could win the FedEx Cup maybe. So it does. It does add to the drama, and that's what they were looking for. Instead of the guy that was leading all year long, has such a big league, nobody can catch him. It's just kind of uh, it's bad television. That's what they're looking for, and, and that's what moves the needle, and that's what pays the bills is uh, the sponsorships and all that. So you got to have some drama, and they, they're going to keep doing it that way, I'm sure. Well, you mentioned drama, Woody. I tell you where there is going to be some drama is on August 29th at the hashtag end ALZ golf scramble out at Oak Tree Country Club. We're going to play some great golf for a great cause. Shotgun start at nine o'clock. Breakfast and lunch are included. It, like I said, it'll be a great time for a great cause. You can call Tyler Marks at four zero five two zero five zero six six two, or you can hit him up on Facebook Facebook as well. Go ahead and reserve your spot for that tournament today. Get to go see us four out there. We're going to have a great time. Really excited, Colby. Have you? You seem to be the only one who's going to get uh, actually play some golf between now and then. How, how's it looking for the old ALS scramble? It's looking good, guys. I'm down to a 1.4. My goal is scratched. I don't know wow. if I can get there. I really don't. I really don't. But 1.4 is as low as I've gotten. I think that uh, since I had the baby and took some time off, I forgot all of the things I was doing wrong, and I just haven't remembered them yet. And I'm, so I'm just going to try not to remember them. I'm playing with zero thoughts in my head, and I've never played better. So let's rock and roll. Well, I actually remembered I am actually playing a tournament Saturday and Sunday before the NALZ scramble, so I will be either in peak form or I will be so tired that I won't be able to play. So we might need y'all. Are you playing the truck? I am. Oh, absolutely, baby. Uh, two-man tournament down in Marlowe, one of the best tournaments in the state. Great pay out there. Uh, let's just call it, It's basically the Redneck U.S. Open, if I had to phrase it. I mean, there will be country music <laughs> all over the place, beers being slammed everywhere. It will be a little little more hectic environment than the hashtag NLZ scramble. But we're going to have a good time nevertheless, guys. So how about we do this? Let's go ahead. We'll go ahead and go to a break. Whenever we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the U.S. Women's Am, and then we'll get into a little bit of the live stuff. Uh, you know, we had the lawsuit last week uh, that came down with the players not being able to play. And we definitely want to hear Colby's thoughts on that. I haven't talked to him about that since then. And then at the end of the show, yesterday on the radio show, we went through the biggest douchebag moves that you can do on a golf course because there was a list that came out on Instagram. So we'll go ahead and dive into that right after right after this break on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. 
For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. It is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. On the 73rd hole official podcast of Golf Oklahoma, having a great time with the whole crew here, Colby Powell, Sam Humphreys, and the Hall of Famer, Jim Woodward, having some great off, uh, off-air off talk right before then. Honestly, great stuff. Really makes some memories. Actually, just talking about how me and me, Woody, me and Colby actually have never officially met Woody in person, which is extremely crazy <laughs> with how much that we've done this show and talked to. We've talked numerous hours with the man. So the uh, at the uh, NDALZ Scramble, we're going to have a really great time pretty much meeting Woody, which is absolutely crazy. But, Sam, you had mentioned that you had some another few things to say about the playoffs before we went on to other things. I just have one last question to ask you guys. Obviously, uh, with the drama, it was a great uh, TV day just to watch what was going to happen. But before the playoff, we had guys like J.J. Spawn taking forever, Trey Molinax taking forever. The only the only difference between watching paint dry and watching J.J. Spawn play golf is that paint drives faster than J.J. Spawn plays golf. Guys, to me, it, it was terrible TV until Will Zalatoris and, and Fett Straka saved it with hitting some wild tee shots. In all honesty, it was fairly boring up until that point. I will agree with you there, Sam. But uh, you know, so let's uh, let's go ahead and get on to something that really wasn't too much of a slow play issue at the U.S. Women's Am because uh, uh, Baca ended up winning the entire tournament or the entire match 11-9 and nine over Monet Chun from Canada. Absolutely incredible. It seemed like the, the coverage was supposed to be on from about 6-9 to nine last night. And at about 7.45, they had to start showing replays of what happened earlier in the match because it was already done. So, Colby, what did you see from the U.S. Women's Am up at Chambers Bay? Yeah, I saw a tournament that, first off, she was, what, 7 up. Through 18. So I was working yesterday, so we got all our streams and stuff on the website. So I'm responsible for the U.S. Women's Day, and they actually backed up the uh, second round tee time so that they could hit the TV coverage gap because the morning went so fast because so many holes were conceded and were over so soon. They could have started two hours earlier. They would have been done before the TV window even hit. So then Saki Baba goes out there, and she just dominates. Yeah, it was supposed to be on until 9 o'clock our time. It went off at about 7.45. Uh, there were still nine holes potentially remaining. <laughs> but, guys, I want to get y'all thoughts on Chambers Bay because, uh, I mean, Sam, we all remember the U.S. Open that Jordan Spieth won at Chambers mm-hmm. Bay, Dustin Johnson with the three-putt. The thing looked like an absolute goat ranch crossed with a cow pasture. It looked like they had just put a horse <laughs> race on the green. And then this week, Chambers Bay, I mean, I thought Chambers Bay looked awesome. Like, let's, let's have some more events at Chambers Bay. So what do you think of the golf course? Well, yes, it did look in better shape, and the greens looked night and day better than they were at the U.S. Open. However, I still don't like Chambers Bay. It, it just doesn't do anything for me. I don't really like Lynx courses in America, uh, T-Dub. What do you think about that? It's a hard thing to do, right? It's Like I mentioned yesterday on the radio show, I think Pacific Dunes and Bandon Dunes, which are based, pretty much, in, they're not in the same state, but they're the same region of the country. I think those courses are better than Chambers Bay. I think Chambers Bay just has a lot of, it has some cool holes on it, like the eighth hole's a cool par five, uh, 16's a cool dogleg right par four. Um, one of the par threes on the back nine, I think it's 15. It's actually the only hole that has a tree on the entire golf course. It just sticks up about 60 yards over the green, so it, it never really comes into play anyway. So it's got 
some got some cool holes on it. But Woody, I, I just I feel like that with everything that went wrong in 2015 there, especially with, with the greens, which were obviously the, the huge talking point. But then just the fact of it's not it's just a little too unorthodox and it's not pristine enough in my opinion. And I, I don't I mean pristine just from you know classical history of the course, like like even next year L.A. Country Club, like the, they haven't had a major there in almost a hundred years. But at the same time, there's still a lot of history there. So I just think that there's a little bit too many things going against Chambers Bay for it to be a successful U.S. Open course. When you think about U.S. Open, that's your your spot on. What they're trying to do is find these new golf courses and kind of cram them down our throats, but they're just not fun to watch. Chambers Bay is is that. Sam hit the nail on the head when he said that it's just links courses in America are tough. It's it's hard to make a good one. Band and Dunes, you're right. That's some of the best golf you'll ever play, link-style golf. But other than that, if you go and think Prairie Dunes could be somewhat link-style golf, if you think about it, there's a bunch of trees in Prairie Dunes. Uh, there's a few golf courses around the country. Sand Hill, if you've never played it, it is, it is truly a fantastic links-type of looking golf course up by Nebraska. Uh, up in Nebraska, it is. Uh, it is. I'll have the to, Prairie Club to that it, up in Valentine, yeah, Nebraska. Yep. Yeah, Prairie Club is another good one, but it's it's hard. It's a hard thing to do to build links because we don't have the same kind of weather that they do over in uh, Scotland and in Ireland, where they play a lot of links golf. And it's, I guess, it's trying to put a what do they say a, a round uh, a block in a square hole. It's tough to do. It's really very difficult to do, and. It doesn't help that the USGA tries to, to sell us on it because if we're good golfers, we can tell. And, and that's what you got with this is you guys are looking at it going, yeah, it was better than 15, but is it is it really good? And P.W. right when you guys get to see L.A. North next year, it's still one of my favorite golf courses that I ever played a tournament on. It is just pure, pure, pure. And when they get finished with that open, you're going to have accolades coming out of the woodwork of how cool that is. And they're going to really want to try to do it there again. I just don't know if the members at L.A. North will let them. Colby, you, you were tr- kind of trying to sell us on Chambers Bay when you brought it up. Do you do you lean more towards us three, or do you, do you think that's a little bit in higher regard than we're giving it? Uh, no, I mean, I definitely think it's, it's a poor man's version of Bandon Dunes. Bandon Dunes is a better golf course. You just, Bandon Dunes doesn't host the, the high-level professional events, right? They'll host the AM events, but they don't host the high-level professional events. And I do kind of enjoy an occasional curveball being thrown out with an American League-style golf course. So, uh, Chambers Bay, no, I, I don't think it's as good as Bandon Dunes, Pacific Dunes, uh, those courses that are probably the best. Links facility in the country that they've got there in Oregon. But I do think that Chambers Bay, uh, if you're looking for something linksy, you know, when they went there for the U.S. Open the year speech, one was that 15, 16? Uh, 15. And, 15, uh, yes. Whenever they, yeah, when they went there that year, I hated it, but I hated it because of the course condition. And I watched it for the U.S. Am, Women's Am for a few days, and I'm like, okay, when this thing greens up and the, and the greens are nice, this is kind of a fun little track, big, big slopes around the greens, uh, you know, fairways running off into bunkers, stuff like that. So, do I want it to be a regular thing? No. But as a curveball, uh, I, I think I would still be in on, on Chambers Bay as a curveball in the rotation. Well, you know what isn't a curveball, guys? That's ring family dentistry. They go out of their way to ensure all treatment is as comfortable as possible. Leading-edge technology, they do it all. Implants, clear line of orthodontics, they got, they got you covered. All decisions are made by the patient. If they can't show why treatment is needed, they won't prescribe it. They explain their opinion and answer any questions, but they ultimately leave all decisions to the patient, so make sure to go see our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. All right, guys, I feel like a lot of our listeners have been waiting for this. We've kind of teased it a little bit last week because it's just, especially with everything going on with all the babies popping over at the in the Powell family, it's been hard to get all four of us together. But now that we finally do, we can finally talk about a little bit of lift stuff because it's always great to have Colby on because he's kind of the, the, the PGA Tour de facto aficionado anymore nowadays going against me, Sam, and Woody. So this is the first time that we're actually going to talk about the, the decision that the judge made last week to not allow Taylor Gooch, Matt Jones, and Hudson Swafford to play in the FedEx Cup playoffs. So, Colby, just kind of tell us your initial reaction to, to that news and what your thoughts are on all that. Yeah, I thought the actual case itself was fascinating. It took like two and a half hours, but what was fascinating about it to me was the live lawyer was trying to have to, was having to tell the judge, okay, the, our players need to be on the PGA Tour, and here's A, B, C, and reasons why. 
And then the PGA Tour lawyer had to say, look, look they've got five of our top ten from the player impact program. So it's like each lawyer was going back and forth talking about how good the other guy was because Liv wanted to make the PGA Tour seem like, hey, our guys need to be over here. And then the PGA Tour had to make it seem like, hey, look, Liv is awesome. What do they need us for? Liv's great. And so I thought the dynamic of the two lawyers going back and forth, um, honestly, I, I thought the, the Liv lawyer uh, kind of came off like a clown a few times. And I, I kind of thought the PGA Tour lawyer did a couple of times too because it's a weird case to argue, right? Like it's very weird for these lawyers. Uh, but then the judge released her 14-page recap and essentially said, like, these guys knew when they went to live that that money was going to replace the PGA Tour money. And I think that that was kind of at the crux of her decision is they knew that they weren't going to get both. They were only going to get one. And so that's kind of why she did what she did. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I wanted to be able to listen to you guys last week, the the show y'all did on Monday that I couldn't be a part of to see what y'all's predictions were uh, because I saw in the caption that you said we we try to play lawyer and guess a little bit, uh, but I didn't end up having time. But uh, I'm not a lawyer, but – yeah, it seems like basically uh, she has seen the contract. We haven't. Uh, the contract is sealed, the player contract with Liv. But she has seen them, and she said, those are enough. Uh, you can you can play your golf over there and get your money over there. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what that means going forward. But, uh, I mean, for the PGA Tour, it's kind of all you could ask for, I think. Sam, what, what are your thoughts on all that? I mean, I agree with a lot of what Colby just said. To me, people are making a big deal of the restraining order part of this lawsuit with Taylor Gooch, Hudson Swafford, and Matt Jones. Uh, As much as I love Taylor Gooch, to me, this is just such a minute part of this lawsuit, guys. And to me, it's basically a non-story. I mean, obviously, these guys should have been able to play in the playoffs. They earned their spot in less tournaments. Uh, than the other guys, but obviously it didn't go their way in the courtroom. But to me, with Cam Smith going to live, or, or the uh, imminent uh, decision that he's going to go to live, uh, coming out that same day, to me, that was the bigger story. And, and official world golf ranking becomes more meaningless and meaningless by the day. The amount of guys, it, you're telling me that you're going to have Cam Smith, the, the last major champion, the guy that won the Open Championship, and he's going to play 14 events next year where he's not going to be able to earn official World Golf ranking points, that's an absolute joke to me. It's going to pose an interesting conundrum, and it is, I think it is interesting timing. I understand that the world ranking system was supposed to change at this point anyway, even before Liv was coming on, but it is going to be interesting because, like, like for example, with this tournament this week, we can't really go back and see how this field compared to last year's Northern Trust because the, the, the rating is so different. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years as to if the PGA Tour doesn't, uh, you know, if that structure doesn't change because, Woody, I think the weirdest thing about about the about the lawsuit that's kind of funny to me is that the PGA Tour was celebrating a win to to technically make their field worse because you're going to have three of the you know best hundred whatever players in the world playing so I, I don't know Woody that just seemed what's weird to me is that they were celebrating the fact that they weren't getting better players into their field I don't know if you guys read that article that Ricky Fowler uh, he was interviewed and I thought what he said was really interesting He's the first real PGA Tour player that kind of said some negative things about Jay Monahan. And what he said, basically, was is he wished Jay and the PGA Tour would have been more proactive instead of reactive. And and that spoke volumes to me that finally you've got a guy. Now, of course, Ricky's not the highest-ranked player in the world right now. He's struggling, but he's got a name that's still pretty strong. And we know he's been offered a, a – a lot of money probably go to live and he's turned them down because he wants to believe in his heart that the PGA tour will do the right thing. And I think he still believes that, but he really does want Jay Monahan and the rest of the officials and the rest of the players to figure this deal out. Because I think he's saying the same thing you just said, Taylor, why are we keeping some of the best players in the world from playing golf? And and then almost being happy that they're not. It's I hate this guys because it's really sad for golf. Where golf is growing so quickly, if we get into this kind of fight, it, it, nobody wins. You all realize this, right? Nobody's going to win in this until we figure out how to get 
the best players in the world playing the most golf they can and keeping everybody happy. And it's just not going to work until that happens. Now, now, Colby. So I didn't, I didn't watch the official hearing or anything like that. But uh, and I haven't been able to get a transcript of. So everything I've heard's kind of been through another source. But there was a lot of stuff that came out because Brandon Chambly, how many ever months ago, when Charles Schwartzel won, said that you know it's going. A lot of the guys live contracts. I think he actually said all of them. Any money that they win in the tournament would go against the guaranteed money that they already had. Essentially, a draw in a sense. And it seemed like that in in the in the hearing there was some. Something alluded to that the live guys are coming out and saying that that had to do with reimbursement for the FedEx Cup because I guess a lot of these guys guaranteed pay to go to live was compensated for the fact they weren't going to play in the FedEx Cup playoffs but it seemed to be a lot of people it seemed like if you're for the PGA Tour you took that as oh well it's going against it uh, the live guys have a draw and if you're for live you kind of heard it a different way so what, what all happened in that aspect yeah I mean the lawyer essentially I think he misspoke is what happened. I, I think that he meant to say something along the lines of, yes, we have to recoup the financial losses that these guys are having go against them for not being on the PGA Tour, something of that nature. I think that's what he meant to say. But what he said was, yes, we have these, these guys who they're winning are counted against essentially their game. Reoccupied was the word that he used. Reoccupied, yeah, there you go. So, And, and then, you know, obviously Twitter because there was the story, like you said, with Brandon, and then Liv denied, and then Liv came out and denied again. So I, I think that there's a chance that some of these guys maybe have that in their contract, maybe the ones who weren't good negotiators. I certainly don't think that's a widespread thing on Liv. Uh, but it was, if it was a misspeak, it, it was a bad misspeak by the lawyer. What, what did you think of that, Sam? Well, yeah, and to me, <laughs> either way, that's kind of another non-story to me because, it, to me, if you say you get $20 million guaranteed, wouldn't it be more incentive to play well? That's kind of what the, PGA, the supporters of the PGA Tour are saying, is there's no incentive to play well if that money is reoccupied, the prize money is reoccupied back into your guaranteed money. To me, that's more incentive to play well that once you hit $21 million, you're making even more money, right? Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that the 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 glaring thing about that was because I agree with with Colby from everything I've heard. It seems like that the lawyer misspoke, but it's interesting because that's the only time that they've had to say anything under oath, right? And so it's like all of a sudden you can have the the list spokesman and all that come out afterwards, like they didn't say that. Oh, well, that's not true at all. There, there's no draws or anything like that. But the only time that you actually have to say that legally, you, you say something that alludes to that. So Woody, it seemed to create a lot of confusion. But I agree with Sam though. I I think that just because you have a draw like that, it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean you'll play bad. And the reason that I don't think that everyone's player's contract is like that is because like Brendan Grace when he won in Portland, he was so excited, man. And it's like if you really if you really do have that draw and you weren't just gonna get that money, it was just gonna be essentially a credit off of you, I don't think you would be that emotional and that excited to win a tournament. Well, yeah, to win four million dollars, you bet. <laughs> If I ever won $4 million, you boys wouldn't find me for a month. I'd be partying hard. Um, so when you get down to this, again, and, and because you guys never played the PGA Tour, you don't understand how sometimes I've got to burn up my ass because I know they're a bully. They've been a bully their whole life, okay? I've said this time and time again. They thought they were untouchable. They thought they could do whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. And golfers in general are not necessarily what you call the greatest businessmen. Now, you've got some different ones with Nicholas and Woods, and some of those guys are really great businessmen. But most of them just want to play golf. And they were happy. They didn't really want to get into the day-to-day operation. And the reason why I say that, even in the 90s when I played, We'd have a tour meeting every year at the Turner Players Championship. And every year I went, because I wanted to hear what was going on, because I was interested. You know how many guys were usually in that room of the 125 or 156 that were usually playing in that golf tournament? About 20, maybe. I never saw that room full. Never. Because I don't think those guys care. They don't. They wanted just to play golf. And they thought they were making plenty good money. And now, all of a sudden, when you start looking at the big picture where they say, yeah, well, we're going to change the way the PGA Tour is. Uh, you know, we said that last week, Jim Furyk, instead of making $75 million, would have made $642 million. 
Well, if I'm a PGA guy and I'm going, well, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? We're going to change. Why weren't we doing this before? Well, we weren't doing it before because there was no live and there was no competition and nobody really cared. Phil Mickelson cared and was really looking into the media rights and all that kind of stuff. And that didn't work out real good for Phil. Now, he might have handled it a little poorly, but what Phil was saying is very true, gentlemen, when it gets right down to it. He didn't handle it very well, and he got buried. That poor guy, I'm still thinking, man, that was a bad decision on his part. But he spoke his mind, and he's going to pay for it by losing contracts and losing people's admiration, for a better word. But the bottom line in all this, as we've talked about, this is a good thing if we can just get work through it. So they quit throwing rocks. It's a good thing for golf that these guys are going to start getting money. And and what we talked about with Ren Gibson, hey, you know what? Maybe the top 125, if you've earned that, you deserve a contract. And the PGA needs to put you under contract. There's a lot of things that need to go different. All in all, though, I'm against the PGA Tour on this because I've lived it. I've been a part of it. They were a bully to me when I was just a nobody. And I never did like them. And I still don't like them. And if you're getting slapped around a little bit and they have to do a little work right now, I'm okay with it. I always love hearing a former PGA Tour player's opinion on this because you've been closer than any of us have, Woody. I know Colby's got some Golf Channel obligations he has going on, but before we get out, I know, Sam, that you had a couple questions to ask Colby since we hadn't had y'all two on in a while, so go ahead and fire away. Yeah, Colby, we we talked a lot on the show when you weren't on the show um, about one specific part of the lawsuit, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Um, it's the part where it says a judge and decrees that the PGA Tour unreasonably restrained trade in violation of Section 1 of the Sherman Act when it entered into an agreement with the European Tour to boycott Live Golf and potential competitors and those who associate with Live Golf to try to prevent competition for professional golfers' services. And to me, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, uh, you know, just because you're an independent contractor doesn't mean I have to let you work for me. However, in this situation with the PGA Tour partnering with the DP World Tour, in many players' opinions, that is a monopoly. Like, that's Carnegie partnering up with Rockefeller, and, and they're saying it, in this situation, it's now keeping players from playing elite golf, which we hear that word elite used a lot in this lawsuit as well. Uh, playing elite tournaments to gain official world golf ranking points. To me, from my perspective, it's a clear, uh, you know, kind of witch hunt to to take these guys out of of the running for official world golf ranking points. What what do you see from your perspective on that part of the lawsuit? I think from my perspective, that's their best chance to win that part of the lawsuit. Yeah, it's again, we're trying to play lawyer and none of us are qualified, so we're just doing the best we can. But it's interesting that you bring up the word monopoly because the word monopoly has been thrown around a lot. And the judge last week, Judge Freeman, she said the PGA Tour can be a monopoly. They just have to be a legal monopoly. And that's where you get down into the weeds of that, whatever you said, Section 14, Section 17. I don't know what section it is. Uh, I, I was after that in law school. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. And, and then she's talking about here, you, you mentioned the word elite came up. Freeman wrote in her 14-page thing, she said, if live is golf is elite golf future, what do those players care about the dust-collecting trophy of a bygone era? That's what the judge okay. said. So, well, real quick, I'll ask you one question. Yeah, I, go I can spare another five minutes or so here. The PGA Tour and the judge used Liv's success kind of against them in that thing last week. You know, the PGA Tour's lawyer made sure to point out they had five of the top ten in the fifth. Uh, they're doing well. They're, they're off to great success. 20% market share is what Liv says they have. The judge kind of used that against them and was like, look, y'all are successful in your own right, so y'all be successful over here by yourself. The PGA Tour will be successful over here, and y'all can just be successful separately. So it's, I almost wonder for a Liv supporter like you, obviously you want Cam Smith to go to Liv. You want all these big names to go to Liv, but then the PGA Tour is going to use the Liv successes against them in court so I, I don't know if it's kind of catch-22 there. Again, we're trying to play lawyer with right. qualified. No, I, I'm just trying hey, to read between the lines there. That's a, that's a good point. However, I would say if it is so successful and it is elite, you have to give them official world golf ranking points. And Jay Monahan and Keith Pelly are on the board of official world golf ranking. Now, they're not going to be able you know, to vote on that, apparently. But if it's so elite, you have to give them official world golf ranking points, right? I, I still think that if they meet the criteria, 
I think that they'll get – honestly, if they continue to do 48 players and no cuts, I don't think they'll get them because it says in the bylaws, like, these are the criteria you have to meet. If they meet those criteria, right. then yes, I think that they should get them. But I, and to me, yes, it's, it's weird because you have high-level players going over there, but it would also be a massive amendment to the bylaws to give them world ranking points when they don't meet the criteria, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, but if they don't amend the bylaws and say, you guys don't meet this, but you have Cam Smith, the, the open champion, playing 14 events, and you have a higher strength of field on certain weeks, obviously not every week if you have 14 events, but certain weeks you're going to have a higher strength of field even, even only with 48 guys. So to me, I mean, guys, it's obvious that the majors are going to have to look at official world golf ranking and be like, this is meaningless, right? I mean, T-Dub or Woody? I mean, I think that it is interesting because one of the new things that they added with the official golf ranking was that now everyone who makes the cut in the event gets world ranking points. Well, so if you do that for the live, it's just going to be top 24 guys. You're just going to have to cut it in half. I think that the new structure, I think, changes a lot to this. I really do because especially now in, in every tournament, every single player is going to get points for, for being in the field. So that means that even the worst 10 players in, in the field of a field of 150 are still going to get some sort of points counted to him. So I, I don't know. It just seems like that there's there's a lot of moving parts of the world ranking, Sam. And I, I honestly don't know how I don't know how that's gonna play out. That is like the number one thing that I do not see the future of on, on if Liv is gonna get world ranking points. Just because it's so it's so cl- clouded in judgment. Colby, I hey, we, we we're running out of time and I gotta get to work because I'm on the sports animal today. But I do I have been hearing a lot of traction toward a merger and I know that it doesn't seem like it right now with these guys battling in court, um, but to me, I think Monaghan only has one option, and that's to either, you know, have a merger with Liv, let them run the fall series, or, you know, run the PGA Tour into the ground. I'm willing to bet you a pizza right now uh, that in five years, there will be a merger between the Liv and the PGA Tour. Uh, okay, I'll take that bet. That's a long bet. I might need to put it in my calendar because I don't know if I'm going to remember in 2027. I think I've already got a 2025 bet, an OU football bet that we made down at the uh, PGA show with Taylor in my calendar. So I guess I need to put one in for 2027, too. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. I appreciate it. I got to run. Yep. See you, Sam. Uh, real quick, Taylor and Woody, I just want to read this just to show that, you know, we're all kind of guessing what's going to happen in the next lawsuit. The judge, th- this was pretty much how she summed it up in her thing, talking about the bigger lawsuit. The court acknowledges that the players raised significant antitrust issues that are facially appealing. But the tour has responded with preliminary evidence and arguments uh, potentially exposing fundamental flaws in plaintiff's claims. So basically the judge talking about the bigger suit was like, yeah, the live guys have a good point. And then the very next sentence is like, yeah, the PGA Tour has a pretty good defense. So what's going to happen in court? My best guess would be who the hell knows. That, that is the best question. Who the hell knows? I mean, just because, like, there's so many different parts to the lawsuit. So it's like the, the live guys may win. And, and that's one thing, too, that I want to emphasize to everyone. This isn't officially a live lawsuit. These are just the players that are on the live suing the PGA Tour. So in all reality, live is going to be used a lot in it. But live technically isn't a part of the lawsuit. So I think a lot of moving parts there. Before we get out of here, Woody, um, any other thoughts on the live? No, we've got it. Colby has more important things to do, baby, and all that. But, um, yeah, we're just throwing darts, guys, and nobody will know until it's done. I just hope they all get along. Let's just get along in this world for a change, please. Also, real quick, Woody, I do want to shout out the Angel Baby. I sat her at 5 o'clock this morning. I thought for sure she was going to start screaming while we were doing this podcast. It is 10, 11 in the morning, and this child is still asleep. Angel Baby. Angel baby, you got a good one, buddy. Keep her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely do that, Colby. And like I said, uh, you know, God bless Macy for having her beautiful baby. So shout out to the Powell family. Before we get out of here, Woody, make sure to give uh, give let everyone know about our friends at Quill Creek Bank. Well, we talked about it last week a little bit, but I, I had a buddy of mine go over there, and uh, he owns a small business, and he called me, and he said, you know what, Woody? I heard your podcast, and you've just bragged and bragged and bragged about this Quail Creek Bank. He said, I went in. You're spot on. They couldn't have been a better bank. They couldn't have been nicer. He says, I've worked my loan out with them. Uh, so it's always good to, to talk about them. But when you have success like that, where it comes back that our little podcast got a guy to go, and him get his grid loan, 
that speaks volumes for me. So kudos to Quail Creek and uh, kudos to their bank doing it the right way because obviously they do. This guy wouldn't have taken that loan out with them if they didn't. So good job all the way around. Real quick, Taylor, before you wrap up, we don't have to do a whole bunch of reaction to this. Honestly, I'm sure it's going to be overblown. Uh, Cam Smith is a WD from the BMW Championship. But let's read the statement. Let's read the statement. So an agent released a statement. It says, unfortunately, Cam will be unable to compete in the BMW Championship this week in Wilmington, Delaware. He has been dealing with some on and off hip discomfort for several months and thought it best to rest this week in his pursuit of the FedEx Cup. So based on that statement, it does sound like he will return at Eastlake, and maybe it's just a hip deal. Obviously, I, everybody's going to read way too much into it because of the lift stuff, but the statement says it's hip discomfort. So um, ho- honestly, hopefully we see him at Eastlake because I, I don't want him to miss the next two events. I, I think the drama uh, with him at Eastlake coming down the stretch with potentially Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, Corey McElroy, Justin Thomas, and those guys, I think that drama would be fantastic. So hopefully he's back next week the tour championship. Yeah, you can tell he's probably not too worried about the money because he's currently in third right now and after this week of not playing he'll probably drop a few places. He's got a lot of great players behind him so he's going to start the tour championship at probably around three or two under when if he would have played this week and had some sort of decent week he could have started at eight or seven under or even if he won he could have started at ten under at the first so that is pretty shocking there but uh, like I said I know everyone's got stuff to do on our next show we'll get into the biggest uh, golf douchebag things you can do on the course. We had an interesting topic on that on the radio show. Okay, real so, quick, real quick. Go, go ahead, sorry, I'm sorry. I have, I have to throw one more thing out because I almost forgot it and then it just scrolled across my Twitter. Uh, Patrick Reed went to live to play left golf. Then he decided to go to the Asian tour. He flew to Singapore this weekend. He finished T31 in Singapore, which moved him from 46th in the world rankings to 49th. Well done, Patrick Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw that he finished 31st. I didn't even think he was newsworthy enough to say it, but the fact that he dropped four spots in the World Ranking Boys, that is just absolutely beautiful. Thank you for that last tidbit, Colby, and thank every, thank Sam, thank Woody, thank all our great listeners and all our great sponsors. Make sure to check us out again on our next show, the 73rd Hole Official Podcast of Golf Oklahoma.